Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Hello and welcome back to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. I'm so glad you came back to continue to listen to our different interviews and stories that we share. In this episode, we will be discussing childhood sexual abuse. If you are unable to hear stories about this subject, please wait for our next episode or revisit one of our other shows. Also, We would love for you to rate and subscribe if you like our show. This helps more people find us and we would appreciate it. Today, we'll be talking to Tanisha Lester, who is an international master life business coach, certified international Christian coach, certified pastoral counselor, author, and speaker. She has created a successful business for herself, but it wasn't without hardships and a big reframing of the story she has been telling herself for years. Tanisha experienced sexual abuse as a child for many years that shaped the way she felt about herself. She processed this and other hardships in her book, Arrested Development, a journey to discovering identity and purpose, which was penned and birthed during her healing process. Tanisha's heart behind her book is to provide a resource that gives insight and hope to those who are or have experienced childhood trauma life challenges, and our lack of identity and purpose. Through her own healing, Tanisha found her purpose to help others heal as well and to provide them with their own sense of empowerment. Tanisha, thank you for joining me on my show. Thank you for allowing me to come on. So you have written this book called Arrested Development, A Journey to Discovery, Identity, and Purpose, in which you've talked a lot about your healing process. So you have experienced some childhood trauma. So how did those experiences shape the way you talk to yourself? Ooh, that's a big one. I know. <laughs> um, I was like, let's just get to it. <laughs> right. My, my trauma, um, bare bones. Mm-hmm. I didn't have positive self-talk at all. Right. None whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally, you know, we hear people say, I'm your own worst critic. I am most definitely my own worst critic in that every area. Perfectionism, imposter syndrome, like all of those words that yeah. we now hear um, that years ago we didn't have a, a language for. Mm-hmm. I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard, I think. I feel all the time, like when I teach with kids and I, I say, you know, we have classes on healthy relationships and I tell them, I'm like, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an insight here. But I'm like the relationship that is the most important is the one you have with yourself. Yes. Right. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't know that. Right. So when it came to other relationships, because I didn't have a healthy self relationships, consequently, the rest of them followed suit. So it took going through healing, it took processing, it took finding the root causes of things to actually begin to just bare bones love myself, because I didn't. Mm -hmm. I saw myself the way others saw me or labeled me. Yeah. So my lens was definitely skewed because I just took on what other people said because I didn't have my own reference of self. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, takes quite a bit of courage, right? So, I mean, to, to, to have that, to be in a place where you're not, where you don't feel good about yourself, where you don't like yourself, but then to be able to say, wait a minute, I deserve more. Like that's huge. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, for me, it literally took me coming down to nothing. 
like beyond rock bottom, what I felt like was rock bottom. Mm -hmm. For some, it may not have felt that way or looked that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it literally took me hitting beyond rock bottom to say, okay, stop, pause. Like what you think life is and what you've gone through life as, like there has to be more. But what is it going to take for you to get more, find more? How do I find more? Right. So like all of the questions began coming and assaulting my mind at a warp speed. But it's like, okay, if I know nothing else, I know that I need to be by myself to figure this out because I'm not I'm not living. I'm literally in survival mode at all times. Yeah. And this can't be life. Right. It can't be like, there has to be more. I don't know how to get to it. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is, but it has to be something. Hmm. So how did you start that process? So it started with a church. It started with this. The, okay. So let me go back a little bit. There was this um, Facebook challenge and it was called find your spouse challenge. You know, we all want to find our spouses. We all want to be in love and, you know, have that little fairy tale. Yeah. Well, it was a setup (laughs) because once you start getting into the conversation, it was a five-day challenge, but after the challenge, they had some courses that you could take, right? Right. Once you start getting into the courses, it talked all about you. Mm. I'm like, You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> switching bait at its finest because I didn't sign up for this. But once I start going through the courses, like it start hitting in some real deep areas. And it really had me thinking like, oh yeah, I am not in any way ready for a relationship. Like mm. this is just not going to work until I figure all of this out. So it started there Um, and they began talking about this church and I had no reference of the church because I I had never heard of it before, but I found out there was a church here in the area that was connected to it. So I started watching them and the pastor, um, like I grew up in church. So there were many times I had questions about different things about sexuality or about like what happened to me sexually being abused was it my fault like all of the questions but no one ever had answers Hmm. what they would tell us was pray about it now I'm not against prayer by any means but I needed practicality yeah and no one ever had any practical step for me but when I had sat at the computer and watched this pastor talk like many questions that I had like we talk about gifts and purpose and those things. They were just like foreign concepts to me that were untangible, but he made it so plain and understandable. I was like, okay, like he's talking my language here. Mm -hmm. So it started that way. And then I went through a couple of healing programs in the Atlanta area that were church-based. Um, and it, it just excavated a lot of things because it gave me language to what I had dealt with all of those years. Um, because at that point I was in my forties. Um, it gave me language for all of that. And it allowed me to see that uh, some people were the problem, but majority of it, it, like it was me. And before any of that could change, I had to change. You mean for relationships like Mm -hmm. romantic romantic and even just regular relationships because even as a parent because I was broken I parented from that broken place yeah and we don't realize how we can really mess up our kids Mm -hmm. because we don't have healing and we don't have understanding Mm -hmm. that doesn't negate us doing the best we can with what we have or what we know But the fact is you really just mess up these kids because we don't understand and there's no point of reference. Right. And it goes generation to generation. But once I begin to see the difference, it was like, ooh, like I really wish I could rhyme, rewind time Mm -hmm. and know these things when my child was small because at that point he was already grown. Yeah. So I could see how 
that relationship was damaged. I could see how my relationship with self was damaged. I could see how my relationship with my parents were, you know, every relationship in life had different implications because I was poor. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, but, and like you said, I feel like that's where like generational trauma like continues on until it's like a person recognizes and helps stop the cycle. Right. Yes. So how have your, have your conversations then changed with your child? My conversations with my son have changed and my conversation with my parents changed. Oh yeah. Because where from the parental aspect where I would blame them for things. Mm-hmm. and have uh, negative feelings towards them about different things, I learned to give them grace mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they didn't know. Right. And then I learned there was that generational trauma coming down from them as well. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't blame my parents for not reacting or responding to my trauma the way I felt like they should have. Mm-hmm. because they had trauma of their own. So whether they couldn't understand my trauma or handle my trauma at the time, they did the best that they could. So it literally made me give them grace um, and understand them differently. As far as my conversation with my son, what I did when he was little was I protected, like I overprotected him. Sure. Because I wouldn't allow him around family members. I didn't allow him to spend nights. Like it was literally two or three that I knew without a shadow of a doubt, nothing was going to happen to him there. Right. Because that was part of my trauma. My trauma came from family members. So like that, that will absolutely make you gun shy. Mm -hmm. But him as an adult, when I started going through this healing process, I began talking to him differently, explaining more things to him, being more open about what I went through and apologizing Mm. for how I parented him, even though I felt like I did the best I could. Now there's always things I know I could have changed, um, but I did the best I could at the time. And just needing to apologize because in in my culture growing up, we didn't get apologies from parents. Like whatever they did is just what they did. And you you either liked it or you didn't. Mm -hmm. So I felt it was imperative for me to admit, okay, in this situation, yeah, I was wrong. Um, I apologize to you if I felt, you know, if you felt like in this particular situation, I didn't do enough or like those type of things. I felt that was important to try to, I can't go back and change it, but at least to rectify it in some manner and acknowledge that, okay, he may have felt a particular way about whatever I did. So it changed my conversations in that manner. That's great. So my question is like, when we recognize, you know, that our parents did what they could with what they had to, Mm -hmm. we still have our own pain though, from the parenting we received. Yes. So how have you managed, and because that creates grief, right? An element of grief. So how have you managed and how have you then dealt with your grief and cared for that grief with this new knowledge too, that, you know, your parents couldn't help how they did it, but also you still have needs that were unmet. Open conversations Mm -hmm. and moments where I saw an opportunity to have conversations about the abuse or whatever situation I felt slighted about Mm -hmm. where I could slip that in. That's what I did. So I would have that conversation like with my mom. I started with my mom. I would have those conversations with her because that was the relationship in which I told about the abuse and I wasn't hurt. So it was more, that relationship was the most important for me to have those conversations Um, But again, once I realized that she had her own, she didn't have the the capacity to deal with that. But once she was able to hear me, understand me, and then be open about her own situation, that just opened the door wide open for healing where I could forgive her 
she can apologize to me because a lot of times when we don't get that apology, right, that's when we feel like there's just no closure to the situation. Now, there's going to be times where you won't always have that closure, but the fact that I can have that open conversation and receive that acknowledgement from her that, okay, yeah, I probably didn't handle that properly. I'm sorry. Um, that allowed for me to put the grief away from the mother that I didn't have mm. or that I felt I needed. Same wise with my father, I was able to have that conversation and being open and honest about where I was, what was going on, where I was trying to go, what happened. A lot of the things I found out my dad didn't even know. Hmm. So because he didn't know, well, he, I can't protect you from what I don't know. Right. So that allowed that conversation to be had and for me to understand him from his perspective mm-hmm. of not knowing, mm-hmm. but going forward. Okay. I know not to say certain things. I know how to operate with you because now I understand you as my child better. Yeah. So that's how I was with him able to put that grief to the side and have a different conversation and relationship with him as well. That's wonderful. I feel like apologizing is probably the best thing parents can always do, right? Like I, I know as a parent, I'm like apologizing every day, you know, cause sometimes I overreact. There's times where I know I'm letting my past pain, you know, be inflicted on my kid. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel terrible about it. And so I'm constantly like, I am really sorry with the way I acted. I'm sorry with what I'd said. That's not at all what I wanted to have you feel like. And, you know, and I also think it's such, I feel like it's such a valuable lesson that we as parents are teaching our kids though, too, from apologizing, because we have to, I think it's, it's important for our kids to see that as adults, we make mistakes. Yes. And we have to learn from them. I think the biggest lesson is accountability. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if we just think about globally as a nation, <laughs> accountability is not something that we do. Right. Yeah. So but if each individual can take accountability for their own stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. actions like it would be and have bigger implications across the globe and just across any situation. So I think that's the biggest lesson as a parent, we can teach our kids, take accountability because in any given situation, you have culpability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it may be small and it may be something that's minuscule that you can change, but you still have culpability in any given situation. Mm -hmm. What is something that you, through going through this process, have learned in general about sexuality? and that you hope can change for the future? So what I learned, I think the, the biggest thing I was taught was that I had to lead with my sexuality because mm. when you think about being sexually abused at such a young age, those are feelings and, um, how can I say it delicately? Um, <laughs> those are feelings, I can't think of anything else to put it right way right now, that are awakened in you prematurely. Right. So therefore, that's all you know, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, my sexuality was equated with love. Sure. Now I know that's not the truth, but that's all I knew. So I led with that. So if someone was sexually attracted to me, then I felt love. Mm -hmm. Now I know better. So Mm -hmm. I know that I don't have to use my body to get love. I don't have to be uncomfortable having sex with somebody because that's what they want. And that's not what I want, but all for the sake of saying I have someone. Um, I know that that doesn't define me because I was defined by that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily called names. Growing up, I was called fast, but again, that it wasn't my fault. Right. Um, but when you can recognize the truth from the lie, mm-hmm. I think that's where 
the truth of what your sexuality is or um, how you define it for yourself, that's when that, that comes out. So for me in this moment, I put my sexuality to the side because it was important for me to define who Tanisha was without sex. Yeah. Um, because sex has ruled my life. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no other way to put that. Mm-hmm. So I had to be intentional about being abstinent and putting that, that portion of me to the side until mm-hmm. I could handle it in a healthy manner. Yeah. I, um, was at in a group with some some people where we were discussing sexuality and different things and a woman had said you know sex for me has never brought pleasure has never brought a sense of enjoyment because Uh of the experiences she had and she also had childhood abuse and she's like you know and so until I learn differently you know, she's like, I have no interest because, you know, of the relationship that basically was given to her, you know, with sexuality. Absolutely. Or with sex. And that, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, none of us react the same, right? So you have some that are promiscuous. Mm-hmm. You have some in the, the terms that are used in psychology, rigid. You have some that are, you know, there's, diff- there's different stages of it. So everyone reacts to it differently, but the basis of it is still the same. Mm-hmm. But until you can define it for yourself and essentially take your power back because your power was stolen. It was. Yeah. If you can define it for yourself in a manner that's healthy, that you're comfortable with, and it gives you the power then you've won. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest people finding that power? I would say to intentionally take the time out to just find out who you are, find out what you love, find out what makes you tick, go to counseling to find the roots if you don't know what your root causes are mm-hmm. um, so that you can begin to love yourself. There's nothing better than having a healthy self-esteem and healthy self-love to be able to teach someone how to love you. Because if we're teaching from a broken place, then we're getting broken relationships in return. Um, In order to change that, you have to change the narrative. You have to learn to healthily love yourself in order to teach someone else how to love you. I love that you said, teach someone how to love you. Cause I just feel, you know, there's, uh, we just been inundated with messages of, you know, the fairy tales and how things happen and that it doesn't take work and there doesn't take an understanding, but like we all come at love from different angles. Like if you think about it, just as you said, like our ideas of love actually are quite different. Yes. And like one of the things we talk, I talk about too in workshops is I have parents define what sex is and they roll their eyes, but everyone has a different definition of sex. Mm-hmm. We also have a different definition of love and how that feels and what that experience is like. And for some of us, right, like it might be unhealthy, but we don't know <laughs> until, yes. like you said, we get to these root places. And so learning how to then say like, what feels right to me? And sometimes what feels right to us, we have to recognize is not healthy. And so sometimes we have to move into those uncomfortable spaces yes. to be like, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And then start to understand things in terms of how, you know, healthy love looks and feels. And healthy love, there's a book called The Five Love Languages. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who wrote the book at it's this Gary, moment. Gary Chapman, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a pivotal book for me because I learned how I like love. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn what your particular love language is, mm-hmm. then it's easier to teach someone what your love language is because the worst thing we do is operate with broken expectations. Mm-hmm. So I can't expect you to love me the way I want to be loved if you don't know how I need to be loved. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So we like it's important that you know, okay, this is my love language. I like gifts. I like words of affirmation. I like me? quality time. Like you need to spend these things with me. <laughs> Those are mine too. <laughs> right. And then you need to know that your your person's love language may be quality service or you know, mm-hmm. acts of service. Okay, so function that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. it's a matter of give and take. And I think the biggest thing I've redefined for myself, and I tell my clients, anyone that I come across, society has always said 50-50, right? Mm-hmm. You come into relationships 50-50. Well, in theory, it sounds good. Okay. <laughs> they're bringing their half. They're bringing their half. But then if you dissect it properly, mm-hmm. 50-50 means you're a half person and I'm a half person. So we're two half people coming into a relationship to make one. Mm-hmm. Math is not mathing. Right. <laughs> so, okay, you need to be a hundred percent, and your person needs to be a hundred percent, because mm-hmm. if we're both giving a hundred percent, then we're at maximum capacity to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Versus, I'm coming in half doing it with just a minimum effort, and you're coming in with a minimum effort. Then, when things break down, we're not as apt to make it work. Mm-hmm. Because we're both not putting in the maximum effort. Right. So when I sat down and thought about it, I'm like, hmm, that means I'm half a person and you're half a person and this whole person is not working out too well. So like if you like you have to come in everything with a hundred percent effort, mm-hmm. whether that's self-love, self-esteem, all of that. Now your definitions are going to change we don't have to sit in a place of lack of fluidity, right? So it's all fluid and things change because life changes, situations change, experiences change, all of those things change. And you have to be fluid with self and others in order to make these things work. Whether you're thinking about your sexuality, what I liked at 20, I'm 50 now. I'm not going to like it 50. Right. It may be enhanced, it may be reduced, but like you have to be fluid in order to make things work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also, I think, too, is sometimes when, I mean, at different stages as partners, we have different abilities to give different, you know, you know, if someone's ill or different things like that, right? We have to also then adjust mm-hmm. to those percentages and, and understand but still have like that. And I think the whole thing is like intention, right. Of like, how are we, what's the intention we're setting for ourselves to understand who we are to then hopefully be better partners at the same time. And, you know, which is like, all goes into that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So you help coach many people now through your experiences. So what is something that you hope for others that you have learned along the way in your own journey? For me, if I can help one person, I've won. But if I can help someone avoid the years of being broken that I went through, mm-hmm. that that's pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know when I was in the thick of my stuff, I felt like there was no way out. Yeah. And I felt like I was alone to know, or if I had known that I wasn't the only one that had gone through sexual abuse, because it's not so talked about in our community. Mm-hmm. In our community, it was whatever goes on in the house stays in the house. So like, you just didn't talk about it. Mm. That being perpetuated over and over again, generation after generation that silence is deadly yeah because if someone had talked about it it would allow for me to talk about it and it would allow for me to come to a place of healing sooner Mm -hmm. but because all of that was quiet it didn't allow for that so for me that's the person I want to be I want to be what I needed 
sure. back then. But what I've come across, most of the women I've come across are around my age. But again, they still feel stuck. They feel like they can't get out of it. They feel like there's like, okay, I just have to accept what this is as status quo. Mm -hmm. And that's not the truth. Like you can live a life and thrive after 50. You can live a life and thrive after 40. Um, And there's always healing available. It's just a matter of, are you desperate enough to find what you need to get where you want to go? Yeah. So that's, that's who I want to be. That's what I like to do. That is what gives me unexplainable joy. When I can talk to someone and she sees no way out, mm-hmm. but just by me explaining different and giving a different perspective and sharing my story and I see the light bulb go off in her eyes, that's everything for me. Yeah, that's great. So what are other ways too than you think that we as a society can help change that aspect of silence? There has to be, it has to be more advocacy for counseling, mm-hmm. especially in the black community. In the black community, um, it's always been stigmatized that you had to be crazy to go to counseling. And it's mm-hmm. not about being crazy. It's about being preemptive because mental health is a real thing. Yeah. You can, like, for instance, I function for years, but if a trigger comes up, it's going to come up and what's in you is going to come out. And the display of how it comes out may not be the greatest. So if you can be, if you can be preemptive and deal with your stuff prior to a crisis, because that's what happens. It becomes a crisis. Then it's like a lot better if as families we can stop keeping silent about different things if in schools we teach the truth of sexuality and sexual health what healthy love is yeah then some of these things can be mitigated and these kids would know that they have a place to go to and vent. so home may not be a conducive environment for that child to vent. But if teachers have a better understanding and they're trained and taught what to look for, yeah, then that would help mitigate and get that child help before it becomes a crisis. As a society, if we can stop stigmatizing women who have gone through sexual trauma, then that would be better versus yeah. us just making it, you know, stigmatized and criminalized and victimized about the women. Now I get before someone comes up with this argument, I get that there are some women out there who have falsely accused some men. Mm -hmm. I don't condone it because it makes those of us who have legitimate claims, it shines a bad light on us. Um, And therefore, people are less apt to believe your story because they've been told the false story so much. Yeah. I think it's, and then another key point would be churches. I know in my church, certain things you just didn't talk about. Yeah. In the church I grew up in, sex was for procreation. Like, they didn't talk about it. There was nothing to talk about. Right. But then you, on the flip side of that, you have churches, priests, pastors, ministers, whatever, that are abusing women. Yeah. Sexually. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no place that these things don't need to be talked about. Exactly. There needs to be advocacy. There needs to be education. There needs to be legislation. It needs to be all of those things for protection, for learning, for understanding. I am singing your praises right now. Because <laughs> it, it just makes it true. Like this is the first, to see someone abused, like for me, I remember speaking up, right? Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't believed, I never talked about it again. Yeah. And, well, and the, doesn't that teach you to distrust yourself? It does. But then on the flip side, 
I felt responsible because sure. I know without a shadow of a doubt with certain family members, I know there were others that were victimized. Yeah. So on that, on that flip side, it's like, geez, if you'd have just kept speaking up until somebody believed mm-hmm. you and until somebody looked into it, maybe they didn't have to suffer. Yeah, that's a lot. So of I kind of took that on, even though realistically, I know, okay, there was nothing I could have done about yeah. it, but yeah. like, it's a conundrum for me. I wish I could oh, take that from you, by the way. I just want to like reach over the screen and just take that and hold that, put that away for yeah, you. So it's, it's like, ugh, it just needs to be conversations. It, it just has to be. Well, this year, I'm going to tell you, I teach, you know, a lot of puberty classes and that's when they first start learning about all this. And then I taught, I teach about touch, right? It's when I start talking about uh, if somebody has ever touched you in your privates or different things like that. I'm like, first of all, you're a kid. And so uh-huh. you have no consent. And I'm always say that's wrong. And it's not your fault. It's the other person's fault. Right. Right. And so then I also explain and talk to the kids about who is a trusted adult. And we have a conversation. Some kids are like my parents, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's kind of the first thing I'm like, maybe for you, but for some kids, it's not their parents. And so then we talk about what does it feel like to feel safe in our body? And then who do we know in our lives who we could tell anything to who would have our backs, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe that's a bus driver. (laughs) Maybe that is the teacher or maybe that is a cousin, you know, or a social worker. And so we go through, I, I tell them, I'm like, I want you to start thinking right now, who in your life do you feel is your trusted adult? Right. Because I feel like those are necessary conversations and to help kids realize that not everyone's world looks the same as theirs, you know? Yes. Yes. That, that compassion element, because mm-hmm. we always look at everything from our own particular lens. Mm-hmm. and it's it's just that tunnel vision okay this is what I know this is what I see this is all it is mm-hmm. so to have that compassion to be able to look from another perspective it's important yeah. which means that means having conversations with different cultures that means having conversations with different genders whether you're trans lgbtq like it, all of that mm needs to be encompassed into a complete conversation because without it you will not come up with a complete plan Mm -hmm. yeah so what have you heard from other women who you work with like what is is there anything that comes up for them in their life that you have recognized that almost needs like a universal like change one thing i noticed was everybody didn't realize it was trauma Oh, interesting. And then another thing I like, I was doing a conference and this lady said, wait a minute, what, what's trauma? Mm-hmm. My initial visceral response was, what do you mean? What's trauma? Like, you don't know what trauma is? Because I felt like everyone knew, but what it taught me was you can't assume that everyone knows what these definitions are. Yeah. My trauma, because it was sexual abuse is relative to me. It's my reality. It doesn't make it any less than what your trauma may be. Your trauma may be because you were in a hurricane and you lost everything that you had. Right. It doesn't negate what your trauma is. It's just different. Yeah. So I found that most people just equate trauma with sexual abuse. Hmm. Trauma can be divorce. Trauma can be being adopted. Trauma can be the loss of a child. Trauma can be many things, yeah. but people don't recognize it as trauma. Hmm. Just like when we talk about PTSD, your mind immediately goes to a service member. Sure. You can have PTSD because you were in a divorce. Right. You can have PTSD like for many reasons, but because it's just that one connotation of that word you negate everybody else's experience. Mm -hmm. So if we can just be more compassionate and look at an all-encompassing word, it's just a general word, Mm -hmm. right? That has many implications. So 
that's that's what I've seen. Overall, I've seen that everyone's definition of trauma looks like one thing, but it compasses many things. So to get them to see, like one woman, she didn't realize she was traumatized because as a child, she had cancer Mm. and wound up losing a limb. Oh, wow. She didn't realize it was trauma. Oh, like she didn't have the name for it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because her mind just said, oh, I wasn't sexually abused, so I don't have any trauma. Oh, I no, see. it's still traumatic because you lost the lip. Yeah. You didn't, it wasn't properly processed because you didn't know what to do with that as a child. You don't know how to process that. Mm-hmm. So like that, those are the type things that I've come across, not knowing exactly what your own trauma looks like. I think so it's just, important. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Just being able to give them language for, their particular situation and understanding that yes your trauma is your trauma it may not be mine it may not be the next person's but it's it's still trauma and I also think what was really important for me when I learned this too is that any trauma that we might experience like all the examples you just gave right lives in our bodies and they can show up in our sexual experiences Mm -hmm. even if like that medical trauma people who've experienced medical trauma excuse me that can show up and some of the sexual experiences that they have with people. It's stored in the brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is something that you know for certain now? What I know for certain now is what I'm called to. I yeah. know for certain what my purpose is. Um, th- this is my purpose. This is my purpose. Helping other women to see what their trauma is, to recognize it, speak to it, understand it, overcome it, and thrive because it's possible if I can do it I know anybody can do it but it's a matter of it being put to them in a proper perspective in a loving and caring manner where they don't feel judged Mm -hmm. um they feel understood they feel heard um because I know even for me I never felt heard I never felt understood and knowing that those things that people may ostracize you for, or you may even down yourself about, those are the things that make you special. And those are the things that help lead you to whatever your purpose and calling is anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's such a, a gift, right? I mean, just feeling like you're really heard is like you said, like that, if we could all have that, <laughs> right? To just feel That's like- That's all we, oh. all, everybody wants to be heard and validated. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but those are the two things that are often neglected yeah that we're not doing a good job at <laughs> right because mm-hmm. we want to be heard but we want but we don't want to hear someone else mm-hmm. no. where's the reciprocation yeah Ugh. Ugh. this is the other thing I mean I'm serious this is what I see actually what we need to work on the most with our youth because they live on their phones where they don't talk And so they are just sending these messages to each other. And I have said to them multiple times, I'm like, listen, no matter how much you think an emoji expresses something, it does not. And you have to learn to hear people, listen to them without thinking, what am I going to say to them next? But to really hear them. And I'm telling you, it is not, <laughs> this is where, this is where I think we're failing our kids because we're not, is a, lo- a lost art. Oh my gosh. It just <laughs> makes me so sad. It makes me sad. Oh my God. Because you're texting and you don't hear the tone of someone's voice. Yeah. Like I can tell you I'm fine, but you, you can't hear me crying. You can't hear the, the catch in my throat or the ache of my heart because you don't hear my voice. Yeah. So all of that gets missed is those important context clues that you don't get. Yeah, I know. It just, it really breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. This is like, we need to like go back to like, like teaching them, like really, like there's sometimes I'm like, what if we just set up even like their old school phones, just like as Mm -hmm. props to just be like, (laughs) you sit here, you sit here and you guys are going to talk like just learn how to do that right Mm -hmm. 
So Absolutely. I cannot believe like we are almost out of time. Yeah. <laughs> which, is on, <laughs> which is insane. That went so fast. So I ask all my guests, what story are you reframing today? Woo. Okay. So this just recently happened to me over the weekend was my 50th birthday and oh, happy birthday. Thank you. I was I'm my mother's only child, but I'm the oldest and only girl of my father. And I have two brothers. So I was talking to my baby brother and his wife. And I was saying how I don't always have the capability, or not necessarily capability, but opportunity to be vulnerable with everyone or, you know, like certain key relationships in my life because everybody comes to me with their problems. Everybody mm. wants Nisha to fix it. Everybody wants Nisha's advice um, and those things. So I feel like I always have to be the strong one. Mm. And I feel like sometimes, okay, I can't take them where that's enough and I'll shut down. Um, but all in the same wanting to still be that person, because I know in those manners that they count on me. But when he said to me, you, you can be vulnerable, right? That, that kind of like, mm, I don't know. And then at my birthday dinner, I sat and listened to each person went around the table and gave me an affirmation and an, an encouragement. And my middle brother said something that kind of pricked me. It wasn't a dry eye in the room. <laughs> he said, you're like a saltwater taffy. And at first I didn't know where he was going with that. I'm like, saltwater taffy? We're from New Jersey. So saltwater taffies by the ocean in Atlantic City is like a big thing. And he said, you're tough, but you're sweet. I was like, hmm, <laughs> okay. So I let him talk and I listened and I was like, okay, okay. And then other people would say, you know, you're strong, you're this, you're that. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm those things. But even being those things, I still need the space to be vulnerable where people can hear me and I can be authentically me at all times and be comfortable and okay with saying, hey, I'm not okay. Yeah. Because I found that I don't do that. Mm. So for the last few months, that's what I've been trying to reframe for myself because I can easily put myself and my stuff to the side yeah. to help others get through their stuff. That these last several months for me has come with going back to counseling to make sure that I have that healthy outlet, mm -hmm. even if it's not, you know, key relationships in my life where I can vent to them. Not necessarily that I want you to do anything or fix my problems, um, but just having that that healthy discourse, that's been something that I've been trying to refrain and knowing that there's more people for me than are actually against me, even if it's not the key relationships that I want to be in that particular space. There are still people that are close to me and in close enough proximity that are rooting for me and want to see me do well. Yeah. Um, so those are the things that most recently I've battled with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you're carrying, you're carrying the load for so many other people and, you know, kind of like what you spoke to in the beginning of like wanting to be, wanting to make sure, right. No one else is hurt, but Absolutely. in that you have to also care for yourself and know that and that's your what feelings are valuable. To. Mm -hmm. that's what they're used to so yeah like it's okay you you again you have to teach them differently mm. right because I remember saying to my brother I love you and I don't mind listening to your stuff but sometimes I just don't want to hear it I can't take it yeah I've had enough I, so yeah. he's been more intentional about kind of gauging where I am mm -hmm. and a lot of times he'll say oh I'm fine but again, like we were just talking about, you know, having those voice to voice conversations, mm -hmm. I could hear in his voice that he wasn't fine, even yeah. if he couldn't particularly identify it. Mm -hmm. And then inadimately, by the time we get to the end of the conversation, he's told me what's wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you always pull stuff out of me like that, that 
Like, I didn't even know it was there. And I, I just laughed because it's like, yeah, okay, I knew it. I could do it. <laughs> so just, just reframing that, um, having those vulnerable moments for myself and not having to always be that strong one that everybody leans on and talks to. Yeah. So how, if people want to know more about what you do and how you um, support other women and things like that, how can they find you and reach out to you? My website is www.tanishablester.com. Um, you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Tanisha B. Lester, the number one. That's on both of those. Um, yeah. That's how I can be found. <laughs> well, I just really thank you for being. I mean, you were vulnerable today. Like, let me just say, you were vulnerable today. That's the normal stuff. I don't have a problem talking about that stuff. I know, but <laughs> in that vulnerability, I do believe that you, in in that vulnerability, is strength that shows people that their vulnerability matters, and that is where we learn to grow, and that is where we find our things, you know, and our strength. And so it's clear how you're able to help other people. And I'm grateful that you decided that you have worth and took that courageous step to like find that self-love because it's so that. important. Yeah, I appreciate that. My, my strongest suit at this point is talking. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was silenced for so long. Yeah. And I think that's where most of us that have been sexually abused, you find your, your voice gone. Yeah. But if you can find your voice, reclaim your voice, that's where that power is. And I discovered that power, even though I'll tell you, I'm not the person that be talking in public. <laughs> I'm not the person that likes to talk in front of a crowd, but mm -hmm. this journey that's exactly where I've been. I've mm. had to. Mm -hmm. And I've accepted that. Okay, I'm good with that. That doesn't mean I'm not scared. That doesn't mean I'm not terrified. All of those things. But I know that's where the power is. And I know that being, being transparent and not no longer ashamed because shame comes with that, that sure. shame and that guilt, because I can put that to the side and just be transparent about where I am, what I've gone through. Mm -hmm it gives someone else a voice so that's always going to be my niche my thing yeah my superpower it is a superpower i love that well thank you so much tanisha i really thank appreciate you, I appreciate you and everything that you do